0: Hello, and welcome to "Want to Grow on a show where we dig into questions about agriculture and try to understand how food production impacts us and our world. My name is Hallie Casey, and I studied and currently work in agriculture.
1: And I'm Chris Casey, Hallie's dad. Each episode, we pick an area of agriculture or food production that confuses a lot of people and try to get Hallie to explain it to us. And this week, organics part three.
0: So this next topic is farms, farmers, and farm workers.
1: Uh, I thought we were talking about organics.
0: Yes, but like how organics, like relates to those three things. Okay. Primarily, we are going to start by talking about farm workers, and then in the second half, we're going to talk about farmers and their farms.
1: So the one thing I sort of remember about this is
0: mm-hmm.
1: we did sort of a questionnaire months and months ago. And someone asked about, you know, if they should, what foods should they buy organic? Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we talked about was, depending on which food it was, it might need more or less pesticide. Mm -hmm. And the ones that need pesticide, it's good to buy organics because you're buying non-synthetic organics. And so the people applying them are less likely to be poisoned was basically my takeaway. Is that correct or am I way off base?
0: <laughs> okay, a little bit. Let's maybe thread this needle a little bit more precisely. So, a lot of crops use pesticides. That's true. Some of our crops will get more pesticides applied than others if they, you know, need them if they have more pest problems. That's not always reliant on what the crop is. You know, maybe one year you have a really, really bad infestation in your wheat, and wheat usually doesn't get that many pesticides, but one year you really have to put them out there. But when you think about the farm workers and the farmers who are being impacted, there's not a lot of people in a wheat field versus when you compare that to like a strawberry field. Maybe you have a strawberry crop that only gets a pesticide once a year, but you have a lot of people in that field very often.
1: And if we learn anything from the beetles, it's that strawberry fields are forever.
0: <laughs> yep, true. When you think about the kind of foods that, typically will get more pesticides than others or sometimes more intense pesticides than others it's the things that you and i like to eat raw like like that's what the bugs want to eat raw too you know so things like tomatoes and strawberries other kinds of berries these really fleshy delicious fruits often will get pretty harsh pesticides that's not to say that other crops won't get them but it is to say that if you're buying them conventionally grown You're usually going to see a high number of quite harsh pesticides on those fleshy fruits that are so delicious to eat. Things like garlic and onions don't have as many pest issues because they're not very delicious when you compare them to like a fresh strawberry.
1: Can confirm.
0: Exactly, right? You know, I once was in a play, I don't know if you remember this, Dad, where an actor had to take a full bite of a leek on stage. Oh, I do. I never had to do it. Yeah, it's not good. <laughs> it looked very unpleasant, right? It did. That's not to say there's not bugs that eat leeks. There are, but there's fewer because, I mean, you get it. It's not It's not as nice as a nice strawberry.
1: And I once tried raw garlic once just out of curiosity Ooh. and will not again.
0: Why would you do that?
1: Because I like garlic and I was curious how it would taste. And it was incredibly spicy. Uh, I was yeah. surprised at how how... <laughs> spicy in my mouth it was but also just not great
0: it's not a good it's not a good mouth flavor it's bad it's a bad thing to do yep okay so when we think about organics organic agriculture broadly has fewer pesticides there are pesticides people use in organics and we'll talk about those but you have fewer pesticides more generally and you have fewer harsh pesticides so when we think about farm workers and how they're going to be interacting with conventional pesticides so you'll find in a non-organic system, there are different ways that they can come in contact with those pesticides. They have their skin, their mouth, and their lungs. They can just breathe it in, right? All of these different ways can be quite damaging depending on the person, the kind of contact they were getting, the kind of pesticide it was, a lot of different factors.
1: Okay. Does it... Depend on the type of pesticide?
0: Yes, it very much depends on the type of pesticide. So I'm going to speak in very broad strokes because we have a lot of different kinds of pesticides that we use in non organic agriculture. It's a very, very, very varied field, not to make a pun, but you have a lot of different things that are growing. You need different pesticides for them. You have different kinds of bugs. There's a lot of differences in how severe the pesticides can impact the humans that are going to be around them. But using broad strokes, pesticides have been shown to cause neurological damage in farm workers. Pesticides have been shown to cause brain damage in farm workers. There's been some links to cancer. There have been some links to other chronic diseases. For more information, you can find our farm workers episode, which we did a couple of months ago, where we talk about farm workers' rights and some of the issues surrounding farm work more generally.
1: Definitely worth a listen.
0: The health problems that farm workers can get from working on a farm can be either acute, meaning it happens all at once. So, you know, if someone is handling a pesticide and it spills all over their legs or something like that, and it's a harsh chemical, that would be very acute versus something chronic or semi-chronic where maybe they're inhaling it over one growing season or multiple growing seasons. And over time, it leads to health complications for these farm workers. There is something called personal protective equipment which currently in the U.S. is required for a lot of different farm work positions. It can be effective in different levels. Like you can have different amounts of effectiveness based on how you're applying the pesticide, whether you're doing it, you know, with a hand sprayer versus you're in a tractor. Also in personal protective equipment, so you're farther away from the actual application. You can have, you know, different effectiveness based on how old the PPE is. uh, Sorry, personal protective equipment meaning PPE, based on how old the, the physical garments that you're going to be wearing as protective equipment are. It can also be effective in different ways based on how you move. So a lot of protective equipment is built for men. And so if you have female farm workers, their bodies are shaped differently. And so sometimes you'll have gaps or, you know, if even if a person walks differently than someone else, then that protective equipment is built as a one size fits all so it's not necessarily going to fit everyone like a glove. It's not going to fit everyone perfectly. So depending on who you are and how you move, what your protective equipment is like, you can have different levels of effectiveness.
1: Yeah, that sounds like a manufacturing problem, design problem.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's it's something that we see across many industries. That's true. But one thing that's slightly different about agriculture is there are these chemicals that we've been using for Actual decades that we thought were quite safe for a very long time, that we're now learning are perhaps not so safe for the humans interacting with them most regularly. So, things like pyrethroids and organophosphates, some of the other pesticides that we use in conventional agriculture, we have for a long time had science that said, no, they're fine for human health. And now we're seeing that's not necessarily true.
1: So, these are. Did you say that's not necessarily true as a completion of your thought or are you correcting yourself?
0: No, as like a completion of my thought, we thought that they were safe and that's not necessarily true. There is some evidence to show that there are different kinds of health issues, particularly around cancer, that can can be an issue for farm workers. You can also have something called chemical drift into farm worker communities. So, if you have a community right next to a farm where maybe a lot of farm workers work maybe there's a school there there's houses or apartments those chemicals those pesticides that are being applied to the field can get up and like move if there is wind or if there is heat change if there's rain sometimes it will move off into water and so you can see some of these chronic issues with Farm worker communities, meaning people who are not necessarily in the field but can live adjacent to a field, as well as the people who are actually there doing the work.
1: And here we're still talking about what we would call a non organic pesticide, meaning if you use these pesticides on your farm, you could not get certified as organic.
0: Yes, definitely. So when we compare that to organic, there is a lot of good science that indicates they're much lower in toxicity.
1: Okay, so they're lower in toxicity for humans.
0: Yes, for humans.
1: But wouldn't they also be lower in toxicity for pests?
0: So that's a good question. So they're they're still doing research on this, and I have a hard time talking about this because there is a lot of diversity within the field of pesticides broadly, right? So I'm kind of painting with broad strokes. But generally speaking, what you see in organically certified pesticides is that they have less acute reactions to pests. So often what we see in conventional pesticides is things like neurotoxins that as soon as an insect will come into contact with them, it will affect their nervous system, and they will cease functioning within like the hour, right? So it's really immediate. With organic pesticides, we don't usually see that that level of acute action where it's really immediate. We'll see something where maybe they make the plants smell bad or there's some kind of compound that deters pests but doesn't necessarily, you know kill them by misfiring their nervous system until they starve to death or something like that. Again, there is not a lot of science around organic agriculture because, frankly, there's not a lot of large corporations that are benefiting from science (laughs) of organic agriculture. A lot of agricultural research is funded through agri-corporations, and something we'll continue to talk about throughout this series is that organic agriculture requires much fewer inputs So you just don't have as much corporate interest really pushing this research forward. So there's still some research on how effective organic pesticides can be, but that's kind of the general breakdown between organic versus non-organic certified pesticides. Does that make sense?
1: Yes, um, it does. But when you say fewer inputs, are you basically implying that it requires fewer things that people have to buy from corporations?
0: I mean, that's the idea. <laughs> OK. It doesn't always work that way. Again, organic agriculture is many varied. It's quite a diverse place. But generally, yeah, the idea is that you're promoting an ecosystem that will take care of a lot of these imbalances that you see in agriculture. Right. So if you have a huge monoculture, you're going to have really high pest incidence because one pest is going to find it and say, oh, sweet, there's a lot of this food here. I'm going to make a billion babies. And they're all going to eat this food and it's going to be great. In organic agriculture, they promote the idea. Now, not all organic farms do this, but they promote the idea of things like intercropping or providing buffer zones that break up those fields of all one crop. Got it. So ideally, you would have fewer pests from that, right? So you would need to buy fewer pesticides.
1: But there's probably not as much research on how well even that works.
0: Definitely not. Okay. There is not at all. And it's growing. There are a lot of really good scientists doing this research, but there's a lot more science to do. So one of the other things when we think about farm workers and related to organic agriculture is organic agriculture requires more labor, broadly speaking.
1: Because you need more people to do or do you need more people or because you're producing less stuff. So you're inherently paying more for labor.
0: No, I mean, you, ha- you need more people, right? So, one of the things is you don't use things like herbicides. So you have to go out and weed. If you're weeding, Um, you have different things. It's it's typically a lot more hands-on because the idea is you're managing an ecosystem and not just a system, right? So the idea is you go out and you look at your fields and you see what what needs to happen. Again, that idea is not exclusive to organic and it's not universal in organic. But generally, that's the concept: is that you have a lot more people out in the fields responding to. The, the ecosystem as it fluctuates and changes throughout the season. Got it. You also, yeah, ge- you generally produce less food per unit of labor. So if you want to meet the same yield goal, then you need more labor. So there's some benefits to this. I mean, it creates more farmworker jobs, which we've talked about how that's kind of a complicated thing Yep. because we have a lot of farmworker jobs here in the U.S. that are not filled because we have issues around the immigration policy and some other complicated things that we can't really go into in this episode. But it does create more jobs because you need more labor, which is complicated but generally could be a good thing for farm workers. However, that labor is often a lot more physically intensive. So it's really really hard work when you compare it to a conventional system where it might just be walking upright and spraying pesticides versus, you know, on your hands and knees pulling weeds out. It's just kind of a different amount of physicality that you really need to put into that work. So it's in some ways worse quality work from the day to day perspective. There is evidence that you may have less exposure as a farm worker in an organic farm versus conventional to toxins, which you know is a good thing. Um, but you also see less labor organization and unions more generally in organic farms because organic farmers have to pay a lot more people, so it's really expensive if they're also having. To pay unionized workers. So you see some, there are some farms that have unionized labor, but comparatively, from what I've read, it is less when you look within the same like industries. So like if you look within wine or something like that.
1: Yeah, and unionized labor has been great for giving us a lot of things. And one of the things they've given us is um guaranteed breaks.
0: And <laughs> that I was think- really good.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much. I thought about that a few minutes ago. I was like, oh, yes, I finally got a good one.
0: That is a good one. Yeah. All right, let's go. Let's go.
1: Hello, listener, and welcome to our non-mandated break. It's a break which we are privileged enough to give ourselves.
0: Yes, and we are very privileged to have wonderful patrons.
1: We are, including Lindsay, our Starfruit patron. Thank you so much, Lindsay.
0: Thank you. You are a rock. You are amazing. Thank you very much.
1: And if you would like to join her on Patreon, you can do so for as little as $1 a month and get lots of great benefits.
0: Yeah, you can go check it out. We got a lot going on. We've got, actually, just dropped was our June plant of the month, which, spoiler, was chili peppers.
1: Yep. It includes a, a pretty good salsa recipe that Hallie's mom and I made earlier last week. and I'm about to finish off because it's delicious.
0: So if you want to check that out, we have that over on our Patreon. We have a lot of different things. If you're liking this series and what we're doing, then going over to Patreon is one of the very best ways where you can show us your support. Thank you so much.
1: Or if you just think it's important that people are educated about their food and where their food comes from and the processes that are involved, then it would be a big help. Also, thank you to Oversleeping Girl, which is a nickname that I can totally get behind for our great review on iTunes. She said, entertaining and enlightening. This podcast has given me so many fun facts to break out at parties. So we are a fun party podcast for discussing.
0: (laughs) Very fun party podcast. Uh, If you want, you can leave a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. I guess it is now. That also makes a huge difference for us and is a huge help.
1: All right. Well, back to the episode.
0: Back to the episode. All
1: right. After that sweet segue.
0: Yes.
1: But there was not a mandatory break. No union gave us that break. Just the idea of breaks.
0: Just the concept. Yep. Dad, do you have a nature fact?
1: Oh, I do. (gasps) Okay.
0: Okay, let's hear it. So
1: this is the third episode in our organic series, right? Yes. And on the first one, I talked about how organic molecules were made up of carbon chains. Well, the smallest organic molecule with a three-carbon chain is propane. Okay. And propane is what you use in uh, grills and a lot of times giant tanks that are attached to your house for heating and stuff. Uh Uh-huh. Propane was also what Hank Hill sold on King of the Hill. And Hank Hill lived in Arlen, which everyone knows is coded as Austin, Texas, which is where we're from.
0: It's true. That was great.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much.
0: Do you want to hear my Hank Hill impression?
1: I'm dying to hear your Hank Hill impression.
0: (laughs) Bobby. Okay. That was it. Did you like it?
1: I think I can do better. (laughs) Okay, let's hear it. Dang it, Bobby.
0: Wow. <laughs> that was really good. <laughs> that was really good.
1: Thank you very much.
0: I never knew you had that in you. <laughs>
1: it's like that one line of that one voice.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've got other voices in you. I bet over the life of the pod, they're all going to come out. We're going to hear oh, all I hope good so. impressions. I hope you've so. You've got a great Eeyore.
1: Thank you. Yeah, I want to do more voice acting with more voices. So we'll see.
0: If you need a Hank Hill... Or similar character. You know who to hit up.
1: Yeah, just come talk to me.
0: Nah, no, nope, you quit lost it. <laughs>
1: Dang it, Bobby.
0: <laughs> okay, so should we talk about farmers?
1: Let's talk about farmers.
0: Okay. So I want to start speaking internationally. That's kind of often where my head goes to these things, because that's what I am schooled in, right? So when we think internationally, I often associate conventional agriculture and this isn't always the case, but I often associate conventional agriculture with the green revolution. Okay. So, in a lot of countries that are post-colonial, we are seeing a social movement shifting from conventional agriculture back to organic agriculture, right? It's it's a concept of sovereignty of getting out from a debt cycle of getting out from these, you know, quote-unquote western Ideas of agriculture that are like these huge multinational corporations providing seed. The Green Revolution, to clarify, I know we did an episode on this, but the Green Revolution was not specifically about multinational corporations. But it did bring in the model of buying seed and buying inputs for that seed that then multinational corporations, agricorps, kind of capitalized on that model being introduced in a lot of post-colonial nations. Uh, One place where we're seeing a lot of this social movement is actually in India. So there's a lot of talk in India about switching farms back to organic um, because you've seen a lot of debt cycles in, I mean, in a lot of places, but it's really been in the news a lot in India. It's something that um, policymakers and activists have focused a lot around is the idea that farmers can technically own their land, but they can owe so much to some large corporation somewhere that they're buying seeds, pesticides, herbicides, fertilizer from that they really aren't able to really own their land and and own the the food that they're producing cuz they're paying so much back to these farms and then they're just having to take out another loan the next growing cycle cuz usually when you purchase the inputs you have high upfront cost and then you get paid at the end right so you often have to get a loan at the beginning of the the growing season in order to get through the growing season to buy those seeds, to buy those fertilizers, to buy those, you know, herbicides, pesticides, whatever it is. And then you get paid once you harvest, which is, you know, months later, and that's when you're able to pay that loan back, which then you then have to take it again. And this cycle is not something we're just seeing in India. We we see a lot of conversation around India. There's a lot of activism there, but this is something that's kind of become ubiquitous in the whole world, everywhere. And it's really, really hard. I mean, we're starting to talk about it more here in the U.S., about farm debt relief, but it's something that's really, really significant. And a lot of people are pointing to organic agriculture as a way to step back from that, as a way to get out of that debt cycle.
1: It, it sounds mm-hmm. similar to subsistence farming, or what I think of when I hear the word subsistence farming. Like, you're just barely able to make enough to get by, but the mm-hmm. reason that they're in the situation is because they constantly, year after year, have high loans to pay off.
0: Yeah. So when we think of subsistence farming, usually the terminology means that you're growing food in order for you to subsist on, so you grow the food that you eat. But it, it is kind of like that that same thing. When we think about subsistence farmers, and when we talk about this in development, often we're, we're talking about how can they enter the market so that they are able to get out of that cycle, right? If you're spending all of your time cultivating crops so that you can eat, you're not going to have more time to improve your economic station, right? To go out and get some kind of side hustle or market your crops if you have extra because you're spending so much time just trying to stay alive and stay afloat. So in that way, it is kind of similar. Right. We, we think about these in a similar way where it really is a cycle where something has to change. You need some kind of leg up or step back in, in the case of debt where you're able to, to in, incur less debt or incur higher profits or, or something like that, where you're able to kind of break that cycle where you're not as reliant on it. Right.
1: And potentially organic farming is a way out of this cycle.
0: So that's something that people are pointing to, right? Okay. So it's not necessarily that organic agriculture is going to cure all ills. But what organic agriculture does allow farmers is that they don't have to buy seed, right? You can save your seed from last year and you don't have to necessarily buy fertilizers or herbicides or pesticides. Often when you purchase seed from an agri-corp, that comes with a contract that you're also going to buy pesticides and you're also going to buy herbicides from that agri-corp. Because they own the patent on that seed so they can dictate how you use it. So when you think about growing organically, the idea is is really giving freedom back to the farmer. At least that's what a lot of people are, are talking about. That's not necessarily how everyone feels about it.
1: Wow. It almost reminds me of Microsoft of the 90s, which stores who sold PCs with Windows would mm-hmm. be under contract where that's the only way they could sell PCs was with Windows. Yeah. They yeah it's very similar yeah they were like forced to do it a certain way because they were doing business uh with this large corporation
0: that's exactly yeah and and you see that on both sides sometimes with farmers, especially here in the u s you'll see farmers make a contract with the seed they're buying and the agricorp they're getting their inputs from, and then they also make a contract with their seller, so both the agricorp they're buying from and the agricorp they're selling to have mandates on how they have to farm. So, there's a lot of conversations here in the US where farmers are just being really getting really fed up uh being told how to farm their own land, right? They're like, this is my land. I've I've been here for generations and you know, Tyson and Kraft and Monsanto are dictating how I am able to farm it and it becomes very frustrating. So a lot of people point to organic as a solution. However, USDA organic certification is very intensive. And a lot of people, a lot of farmers have found it in some ways more suffocating. There's a lot of paperwork. There's a lot. There's a lot of paperwork. It can be expensive, but it's it's really time intensive. I met a farmer recently who said he was USDA certified and he had to stop. Because he didn't have time to keep up with the paperwork. Literally, that's what he told me. Wow. Now, I don't know how broad scale that is. I don't know how many farmers you see that in. But I I can say anecdotally, I have heard a lot of people complain that the USDA organic certification is one, expensive. And two, intensely bureaucratic and really, really intensely kind of micromanaged where they they really want to know everything you're doing every second. To make sure that it stays up to those standards, um, so it, it can equally be exhausting for farmers. So there is, you know, some farmers are moving to things like regenerative agriculture, where you don't necessarily have the organic label, but you're not also buying as many inputs. There are alternative models that are coming up. The tough thing about that is you can't always get the price premium, which you often see associated with organic, if you're not certified. So <laughs> there's there is some trade-offs here. Uh and that's that's what we see farmers grappling with. We're gonna talk more in the next episode about kind of the economics of a farm and the larger economics. And we're gonna include in that like the time that this takes and how the paperwork shakes out. Um but yeah, that's that's kind of what we got for today.
1: Yeah, I, I can definitely empathize anytime I have to deal with even a one or two page government form. I'm filled with frustration and I feel like pulling all my hair out. And I can't imagine what they have to go through for that.
0: Yes. When you are buying your organic food, thank your paperwork clerks and or farmers who are doing paperwork.
1: Indeed. Well, I think I'd like to wrap it up by Mm -hmm. sort of cycling back to something you said earlier and uh, sort of my takeaway from it, which is when a farmer is talking to someone like a Monsanto or a Kraft or whomever, they say, this land is my land. But they do not say this land is your land. Yep. <laughs> I guess so. Which are the lyrics to the song.
0: Yes, they are the lyrics to the song. Yep. So that's kinda yeah. That's I think that's a good wrap-up. That's, that's some a of good the wrap up. that's some of the trade-offs for farm workers, some of the trade-offs for farmers and their farms. We're gonna talk more about farmers, especially around economics, next time.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of One to Grow On.
0: This show is hosted by me, Hallie Casey, and Chris Casey.
1: It is produced by Catherine Arjay and Hallie Casey.
0: Our music is Something Elated by Broke for Free.
1: Connect with us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at One to Grow On Pod.
0: You can find all of our episodes as well as more information about the show and the team on our website, One to Grow On pod.com.
1: Join our community and learn more about each episode at patreoncom slash One to Grow On Pod. There you can get access to audio extras, fascinating follow-ups, and even custom art created just for you.
0: If you like the show, please share it with your friends. Sharing is the best way to help us reach more ears.
1: Be sure to check out the next episode in two weeks.
0: But until then, keep on growing.
1: Bye, everybody.